Hi, I'm Sian Xiao, a healthcare researcher. And I'm Sammy Winemaker, a palliative care doctor. If you or someone you know is facing a serious illness, you've probably spent many hours in waiting rooms, scared and not sure what to expect. We can help. Together, we've heard from thousands of patients and families dealing with serious illness. Our goal is to share what we've learned so you can be more prepared and in control. This is the Waiting Room Revolution, and it starts right now. Hey, welcome back. It's Sian and Sammy again. Today, we're going to focus on the concept of zooming in and zooming out. Zooming in is the typical experience where you focus on the day-to-day of an illness. Your attention is on the next treatment, the next test or scan, the next decision you have to make, and you're looking at what's immediately ahead of you. And this is reinforced by phrases we hear from your healthcare team. They'll say things like, you're not at that point yet, or we'll cross that bridge when you get there, or let's take it one day at a time. These sayings all make us stay in the day-to-day and avoid looking ahead. And so the key we want to talk about today is called zoom out, the ability to take a step back and look at the big picture of your disease. You know, often I ask people, what do you understand about your illness? And you can't believe how often people say, well, we don't really understand. I can't believe it, CN, because these people will have faced many healthcare teams prior to me meeting them. And when they say they don't understand their illness, I feel so sad for them because it's rather late when I get involved. Sometimes I ask them, do you have an understanding of where you're at in your illness story? 99% of the time, people say, we have no idea. And again, I'm baffled. I can't believe it that at this point in the illness, they still don't know where they're at on that journey. And then I may go as far as saying to them, do you know what to expect from here forward? Again, 99% of the time people say no. So, I mean, this is not just once in a while I meet these people. The reason why we have made this episode is because the majority of people don't realize that this information exists. And then they end up in the advanced stage of an illness, feeling absolutely blindsided blindfolded in the dark. And so the idea of getting away from being in the dark and moving towards being in the know is requesting this information early on, at least the roadmap, if not the timeline. Exactly. The overall storyline for every illness is known. And that's one of the big keys and secrets we want to reveal in our podcast. There is a misconception that no one has a crystal ball. And when you get diagnosed with an illness, that there's no way to know how that illness is going to unfold. In fact, for the person who is diagnosed, they feel they're the first person in the world to ever have that illness because it's their own personal journey. But we have cared for people with similar illnesses millions and millions and millions of times. So healthcare providers actually do have a general sense of what the particular illness looks like. The individual might not know that we have that information, but doctors know we hold that information. It's called the natural history of an illness. It's the overarching pattern. It's the rhythm. It's the 
journey, every illness has an overarching pattern, the long view of the illness, a rhythm and cadence that is predictable because millions and millions of people have faced the same illness. So when doctors say to patients and families, oh, there is no crystal ball. That's simply not true, Sian. Every illness has a general pattern to it. Cancer has a general pattern to it when it cannot be cured. Heart failure has a certain pattern to it. End-stage lung disease, Parkinson's, dementia, ALS, frailty, all of these conditions actually have a roadmap. Every illness actually has, generally speaking, an early, a middle, and a late stage. And along the illness storyline, there are different checkpoints that are unique to that particular illness. Can you explain more about what we mean by the illness pattern or the illness storyline? It means that every illness has a description that can be shared with you. So I would be able to tell someone what dementia looks like over time. When you're first diagnosed with dementia, it looks like this, and this is what you can expect. And then as dementia changes, it looks like this, and this is what you can expect. Later on in dementia, this is what it looks like. So the storyline is really just a description of how that illness behaves generally over time. These types of patterns can be drawn out on a piece of paper, and it might help people to see visually how their function is going to change over time. Some illness patterns will be very rhythmic and predictable, and other illness patterns have a seesaw type of pattern to it where there are ups and downs and ups and downs. Other illnesses are very subtle. The pattern is very hard to pick up on because it is so subtle. But it still is possible to describe the average pattern for every illness, even though they're all different. So it's really frustrating to researchers like myself or palliative care physicians like yourself, Sammy, when patients and families say to us, oh, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't have a roadmap. Because we know that each illness has a storyline that's predictable. And we want to get that information out to patients and families sooner than later so that they can be more in control of how prepared they are for what um, is going to happen in their journey ahead. Nothing frustrates me more than hearing time and time again, my doctor told me there's no crystal ball. And so when I meet people, which is really late in their illness, they've gone months or years with no roadmap because someone has said to them, I have no crystal ball. But you see, this roadmap, this illness pattern or journey or general timeline that we're referring to is indeed a roadmap. It's the long view of the illness. It's the overarching storyline. So what does it mean to zoom out exactly? So the idea is we have to look at the forest of the illness, not just the trees. Because without zooming out, people are going to journey through their illness, be constantly caught off guard. They'll be ill-equipped, regretful, scared, anxious, and ultimately feel like they've 
lost their sense of self, lost their grounding or their footing. No one would go hiking without a roadmap. You'd never just enter into the jungle without knowing where you're going. Sometimes I think how ridiculous it is that people aren't offered this information when I think about a woman who gets pregnant. Can you imagine a woman getting pregnant and not knowing what to expect from a big picture perspective? that there's nine months of pregnancy and the first month looks like this and the first trimester is this way, the last trimester is that way, and at the end you're going to have a baby. Imagine if we kept all that information from a woman and instead just took her blood pressure every day, measured her stomach every day, without discussing the fact that she's pregnant. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Why do you think that this this hidden information, this natural progression of the illness is a secret. Why is it hidden? Healthcare providers look at the weather, the daily weather or the hourly weather, instead of stepping back and looking at the climate of the illness. Really what they need to do is step back and look at the big picture, almost like a bird's eye view looking down from 10,000 feet, instead of being in the rabbit holes or the day-to-day busyness of the illness. Healthcare providers assume that patients and families don't want to know this information. They worry that patients and families, if they know the overarching pattern of the illness, that they will instill fear or sadness or hopelessness in their patient or their family. They assume that families and patients wouldn't want to know this. And that's actually not true. I agree. Through interviews with different healthcare providers, they often talk about worrying about looking into the future because they think they're going to be seen as giving up hope on their patients. But I'd love to hear more about your experience of how patients and families react when they understand the big picture of their illness. When you have a roadmap that describes your illness, you have an opportunity to think ahead, to plan ahead. You can then predict, okay, if this is going to happen with this particular illness, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z now, knowing that that's coming. It's like staying one step ahead instead of putting yourself in a position where you have to be reactive and everyone, everything seems like a crisis or wrong. Had you been given the roadmap, you would have known that this is a normal part of your illness. This is so empowering to have this information because then you remain in control throughout your illness and make decisions that are best for you. I really think this is the key that has the biggest impact on the stories where we feel people are in the know and feel in control and hopeful compared to those who feel unprepared and overwhelmed. It's their ability to zoom out and understand the overall story pattern and where they are in their illness so that they can take charge of what is important to them given what their physical condition is and what they think as best as anyone can tell how much time they have. So they can make choices around what they want to do with their time. And it allows them to have realistic hope of uh, compared to an unrealistic hope of a cure or that, you know, they can beat this. Um, And for some, again, some diseases we know that may be true. But for many, the ones we're talking about are the ones where that's probably not going to happen. Um, it It empowers them to take control of of making choices that are important to them in their last, say, 1,000 days or last 100 days? My experience has been that 
when people do receive this information, that they don't feel hopeless, that they don't feel more fear. They don't get depressed from the information. Ironically, people feel more grounded. They actually feel like they have more control when they can see the long view. Maybe it takes a moment to just swallow the fact that you have this illness and it's going to have this particular pattern, but people adjust. People are amazing. And then they use this information as power. I can't tell you how many times I have met people that feel that they're just floating around in the mystery of an illness, not knowing where the anchors are at, like a boat just floating around. Um, it's, it's very unsettling to not know where you can ground yourself. It's true. Uh, in interviews, we often hear stories of people feeling very unsure of where they are in their illness. And I think one of the reasons people may be resistant to this idea that every disease has a known pattern is this competing idea that we are individuals. We're not statistics. We don't always fall into perfect patterns. In other words, there are always outliers, and they hope to beat the odds. But what we're trying to say is that it's still useful to know what the typical pattern is, even if the timing can vary from person to person. It's probably important to mention that the natural history of an illness or the overarching pattern that we're talking about when you zoom out, it's not an individual journey. It means an average person facing this particular illness is going to have a general pattern that looks like this. But every individual is going to have superimposed on top of that an individual journey, which is based on individual factors, their personality, their situation, their style, the way their own individual body responds to treatments and goes through the illness. But this idea of an overarching roadmap still can generally describe what's going to happen. So that's like an analogy for that would be something like puberty, right? Where, you know, every person uh, goes through this uh, physical changes and the average person, it might be something like, you know, between 13 and 18, but some people do it earlier or later. And these are the things that accompany those changes. But every individual story is different. But what is the stages and what is known uh, is well documented in, you know, in any biology book. It's true. I remember my daughters reading books about puberty um, that give the general information so that you know what to expect. But you're right. Each person goes through that experience differently. And that's exactly what we're referring to. There is a puberty book for every progressive life-limiting illness that exists. And you are going to go through that illness differently than someone else. But wouldn't it be nice to have that book that will give you a general sense instead of going through your whole entire journey, never really knowing what the big picture looks like? That is so scary. Having said that, some people may want to stop at just knowing what the roadmap looks like, the big picture of the illness, the long view. I will also mention that there is another piece that can be helpful for people. You may be surprised to know that every illness has an average timeline linked to it. This is the average timeline for billions of people who have had the same illness. It's not a person's timeline, but it's an average timeline. 
So people do have the right to not only ask, what does dementia look like over time? Can you please tell me what some of the illness checkpoints are going to be like and what the cadence and rhythm is and what to expect when I have dementia? You have a right to look for that roadmap and receive it. But some people may also want to go one step further and ask, what's the average timeline for someone who has dementia? How long does it take to go through that journey? There's an average timeline for all illnesses. And people might not realize that that exists. So what I wanted to add is this. So far, we've talked about how there's a natural storyline to every disease. There's also an average time frame for every disease. Both of these things are known and can be helpful. However, I also meet patients and families who go on Google and they find the survival statistics and they fixate on those statistics. So they might learn that the average person with ALS, for example, lives for 18 months and they fixate on those 18 months without a real understanding of the different stages one goes through during that time. In some ways, it's almost more important to know about the stages you'll go through because the timing can vary so much from person to person. Some people live longer, some people live shorter. So the stages, though, and what to look for when you're approaching the middle and later part of a disease, that can be much more important to your quality of life and the decisions you'll need to face than the actual length of time, the average amount of time a typical person has. So Sammy, what do we say to our listeners who asked a little bit about what's my storyline and they got a pushback from the doctor to say, oh, you're not there yet, or we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Let's hope this treatment's working. Like what, how do they respond to that? What's a way for them to um, push back? You know, I think I would encourage people to say, Dr. So-and-so, I'm sure you've cared for people with this particular condition before me. And I'm wondering if you can help me understand the big picture of this illness. You have my permission, doctor, to tell me this information. You won't make me sad, depressed. You know, I may not like what I'm going to hear, but I need this roadmap. This is my life. I have to make tons of decisions. You're asking me to make decisions about treatments and tests and changing my whole entire life. If I can't put that in the context of the big overarching storyline of this illness, then I'm scuppered. So doctor, please, this is what I need. So it's really about giving your doctor permission to give you this information. You know, the exact date or how much time I might have left, that varies a lot. But what I'm asking for is the general storyline, the pattern of what I can expect in the next phases of my illness. So I can prepare, so my family can prepare, so that we can start making decisions about what's important to me and use the best of the time that I have left. Another reason why it's really important to have a roadmap that describes the overarching pattern of a particular illness is because when you're able to check in on this roadmap and figure out where you're at on the roadmap and what's coming and what you've left behind, it naturally allows your focus of hope to evolve along with the illness. It's a big problem when people don't have this overarching information and they continue to have hopes that are more appropriate for the beginning of the illness when they're really further on in the illness. So one really important use of this roadmap is to recalibrate 
where you focus your hope. A person can remain hopeful throughout the entire illness journey from diagnosis to the end. The only way that hope can be based in reality is if you have information about the big picture of the illness. So I'd like to bring in a guest now, Dr. Darren Hyland. He's a professor at Queen's University and a critical care doctor working in the intensive care unit. He's also a researcher focused on improving communication and decision-making for patients facing serious illness. Welcome to the podcast, Darren. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Okay, so this episode is focused on the idea of zooming out. Does this idea resonate with your experience as an ICU doctor? Well, yeah, not just as an ICU doctor, but as someone that spent more than 20 years collecting stories from seriously ill older people, whether they're in the ICU or sort of pre-ICU, resonates with me a whole bunch, where too often we're in the weeds talking about details of different treatments as if they're on a menu. Uh, do you want CPR with or without intubation, with or without defibrillation, you know, and they just breaks it down into these little pieces. And what is actually more helpful is to back up uh, out of the weeds, zoom out, and really understand what the values uh, governing or, or that should be governing these decisions. Yeah. And so there's this time and place to zoom in on those lab results and this blood test or the urine output. But there's also a time and place to zoom out to the bigger picture of the illness. And so from your experience, what is the impact on patients and families when we stay zoomed in on those details and fail to zoom out? May I start with an anecdote that illustrates the point? Oh, yeah, please do. Um, we were doing longitudinal studies with people that we'd recruit in hospital who were older, seriously ill, not, not palliative in the, in the traditional sense of the word, but just had advanced chronic disease. And we wanted to sort of follow them forward and see what their trajectory was like. And we had this one older person who had metastatic prostate cancer. And so he was recruited. We followed him and his wife and he subsequently passed away. And so I'll never forget the bereavement interview where I forget exactly if it was weeks or months or so after he had passed away, um, talking to the woman and I'm going to try and quote her as much as I can, she said something like, the doctors and my husband really let me down. Um, the doctors came in and they all they kept talking about was his PSA or prostate-specific antigen level, that it was falling. Uh, but, you know, he, the, my husband died within weeks of that last consultation. And my husband and I never were able to bring closure to life. We never were able to talk. We were married for 40 years, but I didn't know how and he didn't, wasn't willing to really open up. And so I, I've never had a chance to say things that I really wanted to say before, you know, before he passed away. And to me, that was just heart wrenching that, you know, this older couple have been married for 40 years. They have this, well, chronic but life limiting illness. They've been in the system for, I don't know, years, and no one reached out and helped them, you know, navigate that journey of I'm coming to the end here. And there's things that I should say or want to say, but I don't know how. And they needed help. And there wasn't that help because people were focused on PSA levels 
and not that bigger picture. And and for me, the bigger picture um, is, and and that anecdote illustrates one of the greatest unmet needs is sort of communicating and deciding about, you know, what exact path I'm going to take as I as I as I journey forward in my illness. And so, um, so I, it highly resonates with me this idea of sort of, you know, zooming out and and looking at that big picture. So, Darren, why do you think that it happens so often that this overall storyline is? is hidden, so to speak, or they're unable to see the forest from the trees we talked about? I think there's a couple of perspectives, right? There's the healthcare professional perspectives, like why don't we engage our seriously ill patients in having these conversations? And we've done research on barriers, barriers to having these kinds of conversations. And we know that uh, you might think, oh, I don't have the time, but when they don't really confess that they don't have the time, um, what they say is, my patient isn't ready for this conversation. They don't understand enough about their disease and the possible outcomes and the possible medical treatments, the use of life-sustaining technologies, for example, that I, I can't invest not only the time, but the energy uh, into you know, going through all of that. So I think because of that time, emotional energy cost, you know, the clinicians sort of stay away from it and they zoom in and they talk about PSA levels or antibiotics that they can treat with, but they miss the bigger picture that they've got, you know, someone with grumbling respiratory failure who may need, you know, the use of life-sustaining treatments and, and therefore it needs to be contextualized in this broader life journey as to who is this patient and is this right for them. And I guess on the other side of the coin, and, and you'd be very familiar with this, that you know we as society are a little bit death denying and it hasn't been normalized to the extent that it needs to be that we realize that death is a part of life. And so we don't, we don't embrace it. And one of the frequent things I hear from people is uh, when, we wanna, when we want to engage them in advanced thinking about serious illness or advanced care planning is, well, you know, if it's important, why doesn't my doctor bring it up? So here we have an impasse, right? A clinician who says, well, my, peop- my, my patient isn't ready. I don't want to, you know, go through all of that. And people who say, well, if it's important, why isn't my doctor bringing it up? So and then nothing happens. Yeah, Darren, that's exactly why we wanted to do this episode, because we wanted patients and caregivers to not wait for the doctors to bring it up, but to know that the information about the big picture of the illness does exist and that they don't have to be in the dark. You mentioned that you have parents who are in their 80s. Yes. Yeah. And um, CN had mentioned that you are caring for your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We were wondering if you felt comfortable talking about your role as a caregiver for your mom. Sure. Do you mind me asking what your mom's main, if does she have a main illness? Dementia. Dementia. Okay. Yeah. So um, given that you are a doctor and yeah. uh, you know the big storyline of dementia, the, the natural history of dementia, in what way has that knowledge, so you're already zoomed out because you have yeah. the information, helped you and your family, your mom, your dad, made sense of your mom's journey? Tell us if knowing the big picture of dementia has impacted you in obvious or subtle, subconscious or conscious ways that have helped you and your family? Yeah, that's a really good question. Let me think out loud about that. But uh, I actually 
you know, diagnosed my mother with dementia probably six or seven years ago. Uh, we had just moved back to Alberta. And so I started living or associating with her and realized that something was wrong. <laughs> and, um, and, and so, you know, having insider knowledge of that bigger picture was able to, you know, coach my family, particularly my father, through a transition of one, um, you know, denial, no, no, this isn't really the case, to uh, number two, grief, no, this can't happen, you know, this is horrible, I just want it to go away, to three, uh, a state of acceptance, that this is, this is reality. And that was, uh, my father and my sisters in particular needed that kind of coaching that came from having that big picture in mind. There was an initial attempt, again, to zoom in on the disease. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying all zooming in is bad. I think, I think we should, uh, you know, contextualize that, that like in this instance, my, my sisters were grabbing at straws for miracle cures and treatments and potions and, and, you know, complementary medicines and all sorts of things to cure or at least attenuate, you know, the decline of someone in dementia. And I don't want to, you know, diminish that as, as a strategy, but if that's the only strategy, then again, you're going to miss opportunities for important conversations that eventually my mother lost the capacity to have. So imagine, you know, if you, if you just sort of zoomed in and then decline happens and then you know, today where we can't have meaningful conversations with her, that, that would have been a tremendous loss, not only for my father, but my broader family. And so I think because I had that big picture, we, we, were, we mourned my mother's loss, you know, years ago. Um, in a certain extent, we still deal bit by bit with more loss as she continues to decline. But we all see that, you know, she's not the person she was. She's, she now has a disease that has changed her radically. So I'm grateful that we had that time back then where we, we all mourned and, and said what we needed to say and had family time with her. We actually took her and my mom, my mom and my dad to Hawaii as adult couples for a week and just sat with her on the, she's from South Africa. Being on the ocean was so meaningful, you know, to have her feet, you know, washed up by the waves and the sound of the ocean. And so anyway, I'm, I'm going to start crying here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but and that that was like three years ago because because now none of that could happen given you know where her disease is at so yeah so I think I, I've tried to answer in a very you know general way how knowing the big picture helped me steer you know the, the the conversations and the anticipation that need to happen even a very specific way right now managing my mom with advanced dementia it's no, because I'm looking at the big picture and I'm trying to anticipate, I'm able to anticipate okay, what, what's going to happen next. What's the next need requirement going to be? Who do I need to mobilize in order to meet that care need? Whereas again, if you're just sort of focused on the here and now and the little picture, then you'll, you'll, you'll be caught off guard and you'll always be catching up. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your personal stories with us. Thanks again for joining us, Darren. My pleasure. I hope the conversation was useful. Okay, Sammy, let's recap. One of the biggest take-homes is to know that every serious illness has a natural storyline to it. 
And it's incredibly helpful to know the big picture pattern of that illness, which is not exactly the same thing as how much time do you have left. So, Sammy, what else should our listeners ask their doctors and their healthcare team when they get the chance? After being diagnosed, ask your doctor, please help me understand the big picture of this illness. Please help me understand the average journey that someone will go through. Explain to me the beginning, the middle, and the end of this illness journey. You may also want to ask them to draw it out on a piece of paper. Visuals are always very helpful to reinforce what the pattern's going to look like. And then you can ask them to put an X on the mark where they think you're at in that illness journey. At that point, you may or may not want to ask about an average timeline. We'll leave that up to you, but that information does exist. And check in often with your healthcare provider. Bring the drawing back or just make appointments at different times in your illness and ask them to go over the overarching pattern with you again and where they think you're at right now. It's life altering when you're diagnosed with a progressive life limiting illness for sure. But there is a way to use information to your advantage. Thanks for listening and join us next episode when we talk about the next key called Know Your Style, another key to having a better experience when you're facing serious illness. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. For more information, visit us at waitingroomrevolution.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out.